0: Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Halper.
1: And I'm the second host, Aaron Maté. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always go to UsefulIdiotsPodcast.com to support the show and get bonus content.
0: Yep, Uh, great extended interviews, great Thursday throwdown, which is our midweek dose of media madness. When we try to laugh at media clips instead of cry at them, sometimes we do both, but usually we cry inside, And also don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. And we hit 100,000 subs. We We have 100,000 people who subscribe to us on YouTube, which is great. So do that so that you don't miss any of our great videos. And also in case you don't know this, we do something called Monday Morning, Monday M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, where we react to the Sunday morning news shows that we watch so that you don't have to. And that's every Monday at 10 a.m. EST.
1: Katie, you mean there's someone out there who does not know about the hottest show on Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time.
0: I I mean, yeah, that's true, I'm being humble. But on the off chance that you haven't heard about the hottest Monday morning show, it is Monday morning, our Monday morning.
1: Yes, if you're living under a rock, and you're not aware of what's happening every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern time, we have a show for you.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good uh, time.
1: Yeah, and the the corporate media overlords have given us so much good material recently to make fun of because- There's a genocide going on and in Gaza, and the lengths these people have to go to to try to minimize it and justify it is, uh, it's breathtaking. It really is. Yeah, so join everybody. us every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time.
0: Yeah. So should we get into our Democrats suck, Republicans suck? Uh, isn't that weird? Isn't that terrible? Otherwise known as the four basic food groups?
1: Yes. For Democrats suck, Senator Chuck Schumer is alarmed at what he calls a crisis of anti-Semitism. And what he really means is there are people across the country who are not on board with the genocide in Gaza that he is supporting. And this includes protesters who pretty regularly have been going outside of his Brooklyn apartment and protesting. Uh, and this includes Jews. Uh, I've been to some of these protests. You have yeah. two, Katie, outside the home of Ch- Senator Chuck Schumer protesting him. But Senator Chuck Schumer looks out the window and hears people denouncing him for supporting genocide. And all he hears is anti-Semitism, even though we've just seen a new act of hate against three young Palestinians in Vermont who were shot while speaking Arabic and wearing kafias. But Chuck Schumer, that's not on his mind right now. He just wants to try to delegitimize any concern about what's happening in Gaza. And so here he is speaking on the Senate floor about he, what he calls a crisis in anti-Semitism.
2: I rise in this chamber today. I am speaking up to issue a warning informed by lessons of history too often forgotten. No matter what our beliefs, no matter where we stand on the war in Gaza, all of us must condemn anti-Semitism with full-throated clarity wherever we see it before it metastasizes into something even worse. Because right now, that's what Jewish Americans fear most. The spike in antisemitism we're experiencing right now in America began after the worst instance of violence committed against Jewish people since the Holocaust. The vitriol against Israel in the wake of October 7th is all too often crossing a line into brazen and widespread antisemitism, the likes of which we haven't seen for generations in this country. What he really means
1: is there's unprecedented solidarity with Palestinians right now because of what Israel is doing and the barbarism of this U.S.-backed assault on Gaza and these ongoing attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank as well. And so Senator Senator Schumer, who's so shameless, gets up. Shameless
0: Senator Schumer. It's a tongue
1: twister. He gives this, um, this was a 40-minute speech he gave on the Senate floor. Imagine having to sit through that. This guy whining about anti-Semitism just because he's angry, at people protesting the genocide that he is supporting. And even in that little clip there, there's a contradiction. He says, no matter how you feel about the war in Gaza, you know, he's trying to like say that like this is not about politics. But immediately he then pivots to saying that, you know, yes, ever since Israel started attacking uh, Gaza, Israel's faced this uh, vitriol that uh, veers into anti-Semitism. So he is saying that people who are critical of israel are being anti-semitic and it's the cheapest tactic in the book i don't think anybody buys it anymore yeah at least in the general public and it's you know at least young people at least young people certainly not no and i don't think people are going to be intimidated by this anymore because it's so transparently ridiculous
0: yeah and you know another thing that i think is really problematic is the way people keep saying more jews were killed than since the holocaust and I'm not condoning what happened and I'm certainly not, um, dismissing the tragedy of the loss of human life that happened on October 7th, but they weren't killed because they're Jews. They were killed because Palestinians are being occupied by Israel. In other words, they weren't Hamas didn't go out and, and the other people who took part in October 7th, they didn't go out looking for Jews just to kill Jews.
1: Uh, they actually went out looking to kidnap people to try to use them as bargaining chips to get kidnapped right. Palestinians released.
0: Yeah,
1: um, It didn't go that way, obviously. It's been a disaster. But yes, trying to invoke the Holocaust, which has nothing to do with what's going on. The Jewish people of Europe were not occupying anybody and stealing their land. It's just a, it's right. a ridiculous comparison to make. I mean, if you want to try to invoke the Holocaust, you can look at the fact that Gaza is the world's largest concentration camp. It's Palestinians and their plight. That can be compared to the Jews of Europe during the Holocaust, but you can't compare what Israel has gone through. It's it's such a meaningless uh, comparison. And how many times have Palestinians experienced that death toll since 1948?
0: Right. Well, Aaron, you're gonna be happy because it turns out that this is not just a concern for Democrats, this is a bipartisan concern. So for my Republican suck, let's take a look at Florida state rep, Randy Fine. Uh, he previously backed DeSantis, but recently switched to Trump. And here he is on the floor of the legislature crying about the amount of money that's been allocated to fighting anti-Semitic, quote unquote, hate crime in Florida. It was increased from $15 million to $45 million. So let's take a look at what Randy has to say.
3: I watched videos when I was a kid, grainy, a black and white videos of marches in germany where people would say kill all the jews i never expected that in 2023 my children would watch those on social media taking place in real time
0: i don't think there have been marches where people are saying kill all the jews
1: yeah the only people who think that are people who have been totally uh falsifying what is actually being chanted so you remember. Yeah. At at these chants you, you like you always hear, you know, chants such as, you know, Biden Biden you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. With genocide, right. And then there are some, you know, prominent anti-palestinians yeah. who claim that what they're really saying is we want, we want Jewish, Jewish genocide. genocide. Yeah. Which is such a I'm sorry to laugh at that, but it's such a joke and I it's, know. Such a, it's so it's stupid. If you, if you listen just for a second to what is being chanted, it's such a, a blatant yeah. distortion. So maybe that's where that comes from. It's yeah. like the like willful distortion of what people are actually saying. Right,
0: Right, from people like Maya Bialik of, of Blossom fame, Blossom. yeah. The
3: world that we live in today, and if I feel one thing in running this bill, I feel a great-
0: By the way, look how bored the guy in the pink shirt is.
3: Sense of regret, <laughs> um, that in the seven years that Absolutely. I have tried to address these issues, that I have failed, not only for myself, I made this commitment to my own children and they have to deal with it, Um, particularly my oldest, who goes to a public school. Um, He's having to deal with it um, in in ways that he should not have to, but nothing compared to many of these other children on college campuses and synagogues. Um, And part of the reason I feel strongly about this is 19 times I was hurt badly enough that I had to go seek medical attention because groups of children who didn't like me because of who I was, decided they would show me how much they didn't like me. I happened a, more, a whole lot more than 19 times, but 19 times it was bad enough that they had to take me somewhere to patch me up.
0: So he's saying because he's Jewish, he got attacked 19 times as a kid? I mean, it's not inconceivable, and that's a terrible thing, if that's true. Wow, he must have lived in a really anti-Semitic neighborhood to get attacked 19 times. <laughs> Sorry, just
1: times,
0: yeah. enough to get, have to get patched up. Yeah. That means he like went to the hospital or the
1: nurse. The problem is the reason why it's it's easy to laugh at the stories that there's just a preponderance of people who support Israel always claiming to be victims. Right. You know, it's like the whole identity of Israel as a state, like right. we're committing genocide, but yet we're going to accuse people who chant from the river to the sea of genocide. Right. Yeah. It's this, it's this victim mentality. So yeah. it's hard not to be skeptical when someone who supports Israel claims that they were beaten up 19 times for being even more than 19 times for being Jewish.
0: Yeah. Also, imagine the pain that Palestinians are going through who need to go to the hospital and can't go to a hospital because Israel's bombed a hospital. So it'd be nice if he had empathy out of his experiences of 19 attacks, more than 19 attacks. And I want to say something. My mom grew up in the Bronx. Her last name is Eisenberg. She had rocks thrown at her. Kids would throw her rocks at her. We have family friends. I know that, like, we have family friends. They were called Dirty Jew. This woman, actually, who I know quite well, she says this in my documentary, Commie Camp. She goes, Kids would throw rocks at me. They would follow me home from school. They would call me Christ Killer. But I didn't know what that meant because I didn't know who Christ was, which I think is a kind of funny line. So I'm not making light of that. And I'm not, not believe- I don't refuse to believe these attacks. Um, I do think 19 is a lot. But again, the reason I'm laughing is because my mom didn't grow up to be someone who then wanted to kill Palestinians. Despite having rocks thrown at her. Exactly, yeah. It's just such a disgusting weaponization.
3: When I was a kid, though, there was no one who came to my aid. But the person I want to thank, and I wish he was in the chair right now, um, is the speaker. This is not my bill. This is his. This bill started with $15 million. Because of him, it is $45 million. And if every non-Jew cared as much about these issues as you do, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're here today. This bill is for you. And thank you for protecting my children and every Jewish child that is out there. And with that, I ask for your favorable support.
0: By the way, I was looking into this Rep. Randy Fine from Florida. He's very uh, interesting. He called a Jewish constituent a Judenrat, which means Jewish rat, and is a term for Jews who collaborated with Nazis. Um, and he called his constituent that because he had the chutzpah to organize an event called Palestine-Israel Opening the Dialogue, which featured Israeli and Palestinian speakers. He's also celebrated the deaths of Palestinians, posting on Facebook, The only people responsible for the deaths of children used as human shields are the terrorists using them as human shields hashtag bombs away and also there was this little investigation because uh text messages reveal that he tried to threaten special olympics funding over a personal beef so he told um a city council member that state funding for the special olympics was in in danger because Jennifer Jenkins, a local school board member he didn't like, was invited to a fundraising event for the Special Olympics. And he was not invited, Fine was not invited. So he texted, Jensen, just put your project and Special Olympics funding on the veto list. And he also called uh, Jenkins a whore.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna increase my skepticism of this guy's claim to have been a victim of bullying. He sounds like the classic bully who plays victim. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What is this forty five million dollars going to be used for, like to combat anti Semitism in Florida? Is this like more resources gonna go into banning books maybe that acknowledge minimal Palestinian rights and minimal history, you know, such as the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians? Like that's the trend here of like, you know, invoking anti Semitism to justify cracking down on acknowledgments of Palestinian rights.
0: Right. Yeah. And maybe maybe what he'll do with that money is he'll do stuff like uh, send the SWAT team to shut down that kind of Israeli-Palestinian dialogue that his constituent organized, that he called him a U- Rot over. That's expensive if you're using SWAT teams, but required.
1: All right. Well, speaking of Israel supporters going wild for Isn't That Weird, let's turn to one of the few celebrities who's putting it all on the line. To support Israel, and I get—I don't know if you want to, maybe celebrity is too kind of a term, but he's
0: has been—he's
1: you know—he's people know his name, people know his name. He's been in some stuff.
0: He's definitely an actor who lots of people have no idea what his name is; they just recognize him.
1: Yeah, well, his name is Michael Rapaport, and he's been putting out regular social media videos declaring his support for Israel. So here he is.
4: Oh, man, you think calling me a Zionist is an insult? You think that's something that people get offended by? You think that uh, that hurts our feelings? Being a Zionist simply means that you believe in the right for Israel to exist. You don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. You don't even have to agree with the governmental policies of Israel to be a Zionist. You could be Christian to be a Zionist. You could be a Muslim and be a Zionist. This is not an insult. You call me a Zionist, I go, and bitch? And bitch? That does not hurt my feelings. Being a Zionist simply means that we believe in the right for Israel to exist and if you don't believe in the in the right for Israel to exist you're a sick fuck you're a sick fuck you dumb uneducated newfound rape supporting kidnap supporting murderous terrorist supporting motherfuckers this is not an insult it's 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 like a term of endearment Zionists are proud to be Zionist dingbat. Ding,
1: dingbat. Okay.
4: That, that
0: burns. That hurts.
1: Yeah. Well, again, you know your country's in rough shape when one of your few public allies in, you know, the cultural field is Michael Rappaport. I know him because he, he made a documentary about a tribe called Quest about yeah. a decade ago that wasn't uh that was, you know, it was pretty good. But other than that, I don't understand why he's even a thing. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. What can you say to that? He uh, he doesn't understand maybe that Zionism is not some benign idea where you, where you believe in the right for Jews to have a, a homeland. I mean, for many people, that's an appealing idea, but doesn't it doesn't mean that anymore. It, what yeah. Zionism now means you're supporting uh, Israel, not only stealing the land of Palestinians, which is the basic history of uh, Israel-Palestine, but now committing mass murder to perpetuate that and to perpetuate a uh, regime of Jewish supremacy, as the Israeli group B'Tselem calls it. And I don't know if, right. if he's aware of that basic history, but it's a sign of just how low Israel's stock is publicly. That It's Michael Rappaport, right. who's one of the few people now saying stuff like that in public.
0: Now, we should also um, emphasize that all powerful institutions are behind the scenes, I mean, yes and no. He's he's like the most maybe zealous of their supporters. But as we know, you're not allowed to criticize Israel because you'll get dropped by your talent agency, like happened to Susan Sarandon, or you'll get dropped from the Scream movies has happened to Melissa Barrera. So it's not like Hollywood or the media aren't behind Israel, but they certainly don't have cheerleaders like Rapaport.
1: Yeah, somebody made a joke on Twitter I think it was Will Meneker who said that like pretty soon in all the major like comic book franchises, we're gonna see Amy Schumer, Sasha Baron Cohen,
0: yeah,
1: Michael Rappaport. They're gonna be the only ones allowed to star in these films. Right. Everybody else will be out of work uh for not being as zealous in supporting Israel in yeah. attacking the world.
0: God, what a waste. Cause Sasha Baron Cohen is so talented. But uh terrible politics on this. Terrible
1: politics, just unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, what do we have for isn't that terrible?
0: Okay, so for isn't that terrible? We'll take a break from politics and let's go to this uh, terrible tale of Thanksgiving. It's from, of course, New York Post. They got great videos. Wait! And here we have a woman getting her hand. <laughs> oh, it's never
4: gonna get to her.
0: Boston. In <laughs> the <laughs> turkey.
5: Wait, I'm in back. Is it coming? So, for My those wing of you is getting
0: caught somewhere just listening, there. You're gonna stay in there. she said her ring is getting caught in there. She's trying to remove her hand from a turkey that it got stuck in while she was prepping Thanksgiving dinner.
4: I'm sorry, don't be laughing.
0: Someone's helping her. The person helping her is laughing. Let's see how long it takes. Oh, oh okay. Oh and it's out. And I don't know what she was holding on to. I don't know if that was a part of the turkey. Her ring is on her, but that is like a great ad for PETA because that makes me never want to eat turkey again. <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. So that, that's pretty terrible. Getting your hand stuck up a turkey.
1: That is terrible, but I hope they still enjoyed
0: the meal because, yeah.
1: you know, that's a, that's no easy thing to cook a turkey.
0: No, you
1: know, and you shouldn't let a little mishap like that ruin the whole meal.
0: True, yeah. Or you should stop eating turkey. One of those or two. stop
1: eating meat. That's yeah. true. But that's One what we're saying.
0: Takeaways. Yeah.
1: Go vegan, yeah. everybody.
0: Go vegan. Yeah. So before we bring you our amazing interview, we want to acknowledge the death of Henry Kissinger at hundred years old. And what better institution to deliver a Twitter eulogy than the Anti-Defamation League? And this is what the ADL had to say about Kissinger. Henry Kissinger was a towering intellect, diplomat, and practitioner who, not without controversy, helped shape American foreign policy with a lasting impact worldwide. A refugee from Nazi Germany and the first Jewish Secretary of State, he was unapologetic about his heritage and his embrace of the importance of American global power and democratic values. Luckily, there's a very helpful community note that explains how he was uh, proud of his heritage during a meeting of the Washington Special Actions Group. Kissinger said, quote, if it were not for the accident of my birth, I would be anti-Semitic. Any people who has been persecuted for 2000 years must be doing something wrong. And that's not the only interesting thing he said about Jews. In 1985, he publicly supported President Ronald Reagan's wreath-laying ceremony at a military cemetery in Bitburg, West Germany, where members of the Waffen-SS are buried. Kissinger opposed the idea of a United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. In 2011, uh, it was revealed that Kissinger was irked by the concern expressed by American Jews about the fate of Soviet Jewry, calling the former self-serving bastards. One other thing he said about Soviet Jews is that Uh, it was not an objective of american foreign policy and if they put jews into gas chambers in the soviet union it is not an american concern so that's henry kissinger proud jew and i think the fact that the adl praises him is notable because it really speaks to what we are seeing again and again uh although most people don't know about this which is that many of the founders of zionism both at the beginning and many zionist supporters today don't care about jews they care about the political project of zionism that goes for the jewish zionists and of course the christian zionists who want jews to go there and uh some of us can convert and accept christ as our lord and savior and then the rest of us will burn in eternal damnation
1: yeah so Harry kissinger and this is i didn't know he was a self-hating jew it sounds like he actually yeah like many know,
0: zionists yeah
1: yeah i mean uh, self-hating jews usually it's just a big term to describe Jewish people who criticize Israel, but in right. Kissinger actually fits the bill. And typically he made up for it by being a fanatic supporter of Israel, right. uh, including while he was in office, he basically undermined any efforts in the 70s for there to be peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Uh, the Arab states and the PLO were moving and the, the Palestinian Liberation Organization were moving towards basically accepting the international consensus of a Palestinian state inside the 1967 borders so the west bank and gaza and kissinger siding with uh, the israeli government opposed that and uh that is just one aspect of his legacy which also includes you know uh helping kill millions of people in vietnam cambodia laos um backing the coup in chile that overthrew the elected government of allende and installed a military dictatorship under pinochet and a really bloody coup which uh untold numbers of people were killed
0: and tortured, tortured
1: uh, and the country was turned into basically a, a right-wing dictatorship uh, uh, experimenting with US-backed neoliberal shock therapy.
0: Yeah.
1: And then of course East Timor, which is another genocide that Kissinger supported, the Indonesian invasion of East Timor which uh, Nixon and Kissinger gave a green light for. The death toll there is uh in the hundreds of thousands, unbelievably brutal in its harshness and it's barely discussed because that's one of the crimes that the U.S. supported. So, therefore, as Chomsky, as right. long as it, it doesn't get acknowledged in history, it's, it, it's vetoed from history.
0: Unworthy victims.
1: Unworthy victims. Yeah. yeah.
0: We are so excited to bring you an interview with Guidon Levy. He is a columnist for the newspaper Haaretz and a member of its editorial board and the author of the books, Twilight Zone, Life and Death Under the Israeli Occupation and The Punishment of Gaza. He's very prolific. He writes at Haaretz three times a week, so definitely check out his work. Yudon Levy. Thank you so much for joining the show.
5: It's my pleasure.
0: I wanted to ask you about how your ideas uh, and your view of the world of Israel-Palestine changed Because you once said, I was a full member of the nationalistic religious orgy. We were all under the feeling that the whole project of Israel is in existentialistic danger. We all felt that another holocaust is around the corner. So what made you change your mind on that?
5: First of all, let me remind you that I was 14 when this orgy took place, namely at 67. And at, at 14, you are totally brainwashed. You really know only what you were told. And we were told all those myths about being uh, always an existential threat. And we felt really that the victory in 67 was like a messianic miracle. And we were so grateful for this, everyone in Israel at those times. And we didn't ask any questions. We didn't see any Palestinians. We just saw a huge victory, but I was 14, so I should be forgiven for this.
0: So what changed your view?
5: It was a gradual process, which namely and basically was starting to travel to the occupied territories, which very few Israelis do. And I started it quite incidentally. It's not that I had a mission or I had a plan. No, not at all. I had a column in Aretz in which every week I used to go to some different locations. And then I started, a friend told me, let's see some uprooted olive trees in the West Bank of an old lady. And all the rest is history. I found out very quickly that first of all, that's the real drama of Israel in the backyard. And secondly, that there is hardly anyone to cover it. And then gradually I decided that this will be my professional mission. And then gradually my views radicalized.
0: And can you talk about the phenomenon of uh, checkpoints? Because I, I saw in a documentary that you were called seeing um, Israeli officers, like not letting an ambulance through a checkpoint uh what how how common is this phenomenon
5: no it's uh, like the sun shines in the morning Uh, in the west bank it's a reality of non-stop checkpoints some of them are permanent some of them are uh, temporary you never know where will you stop you never know how much time will you spend you never know if you will not be arrested you never know who will value your time you know people have some timetable in their lives but Palestinians are not considered to be people or human beings and therefore you can lose a day at work a day at the university a day at the clinic only because some bored soldier decided to take his time and by the way ever since the war started in gaza The checkpoints are much more often and much more brutal. There are many roads now in the West Bank which are totally closed for Palestinians. And in many cases, they have to go impossible roads uh, to, to get to their destinations.
0: You've said in the past that there are three things that let Israelis live in peace, in their minds at least, with the occupation. Uh, the belief that they're the chosen people, the belief that they're victims, and the dehumanization of Palestinians. Can you elaborate on those three things and also how they interconnect?
5: Yeah, and unfortunately, nothing of those three changed ever since the time I said so because it was a few years ago when I said it in a lecture. Look, you cannot maintain such an occupation, such a brutal reality in your backyard without believing in some kind of of lies that you invent to yourself in order to make it easier for you. Because finally, we are all human beings with emotions. And I don't think that a a normal human being can live in peace with such a brutal dictatorship in its backyard, even if you don't see it, but you know it's there in your backyard, just half an hour away from your home. So you have to live in denial. Otherwise, you cannot you cannot stand it. So first of all, Israel uh, um, covered itself, protected itself with all kinds of walls of denial. Above all, the media, which doesn't show anything right now, anything from Gaza. You can hardly see Gaza on Israeli TV or Israeli newspapers. And you can hardly see the occupation in, in Israeli mainstream media. But that's not enough. Okay, so you don't see anything and you don't want to know anything, and all those agencies help you not to know. That's not enough. You have to have also some kind of ideology, some kind of explanation, some kind of justification. So the first thing you mentioned was really being the chosen people. We got it with the milk of our mothers. We were told from childhood that even though most of us are secular or we think we are seculars, that, uh, that we are the chosen people. And the, 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 the examples, the expressions are endless. Uh, let's take the international law. The international law was born after the Holocaust, after the World War II, and Israel obviously supports the international law. It's something very important. It should be implemented everywhere, except of one place, Israel. For Israel, it's, it shouldn't be implemented. Why? Because we are a special case. You cannot deal us with the same tools that you deal with Syria, Iraq, Russia, all kinds of occupying regimes. No, we are not one of them. We are something special. And you see it again and again you can also not tell us what to do because we know better if you met israelis you always feel this arrogance we know better why because we are better because what do you know folks i mean war americans germans french swedes who are you to tell secondly is obviously this uh, notion of uh, victimization As the late Golda Meir phrased it in a wonderful way, after the Holocaust, the Jews have the right to do whatever they want. In other words, we are the ultimate victims of history, but not only the ultimate victims, we are the only victims. Try to tell an Israeli that there were some other holocausts. He will be deeply offended. You cannot call the Armenian Holocaust the Holocaust because Holocaust is only ours and we are the biggest victims, like being such victims enable us to do whatever we want and nobody can stop us.
0: The chosen people, the only victims. And then the third one is uh, the dehumanization of Palestinians. Right.
5: And that's the most obvious one because you cannot colonize and you cannot uh, brutally govern another people with the belief that they are equal human beings to, to you, because then Who gave you this right to treat them like... like, I don't even want to say animals because animals... They're
0: treated better.
5: Absolutely. Who gave you the right? So the only way to live with it in peace is to tell you and to keep on telling yourself that they are not human beings like us. The Palestinians don't love their children. Therefore, they are not... It's not a big deal for them to see them dying. They were born to kill, they have nothing in their mind except of pushing the Jews to the ocean. That's the nature. They are barbarians. I mean, that's the nature. It's not that it's for a certain purpose. They, that's them, and they are not like us. We are human We are human beings, and that's the way to treat them, because then they, there's no question of human rights. If they are not human, so why do they get, deserve human rights? You see it, by the way, in any occupation. I mean, obviously the Germans, they the Jews, but also in many other cases, you cannot maintain an occupation without dehumanizing the other.
0: Like Algeria. Yeah. Friends with Algeria. Yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere,
5: yeah. In Africa, look how they treated uh, the colonies in Africa. Total okay. dehumanization, because otherwise, how can you stand it and yeah. explain it to yourself? Well, you mentioned
1: that uh, Israeli TV is not showing the reality inside Gaza right now. What is it saying about Gaza?
5: No, it's not saying, and we know it's all about framing. If you open out, now Israel is uh, 24 hours, seven days a week, only in news programs. There are no other programs. So it's an ongoing uh, broadcast which shows almost only either the agony of the families of the hostages or the hostages coming back or the soldiers in Gaza or telling us about the achievements in Gaza. Now there is the pause, so you see less from Gaza, but only the army. You will see once in a while some very small piece of one, two minutes showing some ruins in Gaza. Just, you know, to as a lip service here, we showed Gaza, but it's not really showing Gaza. We know very well that everything is also about framing. And this is always framed as something marginal, as something that we have to show you, but let's get back to business. Yeah. The bomb that fall on a house in the south and scratched the terrace, that's the story of the day. By all means, not 5,000 children who were killed in Gaza. This is not in our agenda. So when it's being done systematically, that's brainwash. As we are recording this,
1: the truce is holding. More hostages are being released. But you're seeing now Netanyahu facing calls from his own government, including Itamar Ben-Gavir, the uh, far-right national security minister, that if there is a long-term ceasefire, then... Uh, he will resign and, and try to bring down the government. Can you talk about the the uh, calls right now inside Israel for this war to continue? And do you think there's any prospect that Netanyahu would ever accept a permanent ceasefire?
5: First of all, we have to face it. that The national sentiment right now, and polls show it, is in favor of continuing the war and in very clear majority. Israelis, after the 7th of October, feel that they cannot get back to to normality before punishing Gaza and punishing Hamas and smashing Hamas, crashing Hamas. That's almost common in Israeli discourse that this should happen. The dilemma is, obviously, the hostages, which is the second goal of this war, Until now, we uh, succeeded to cheat ourselves that we can have both. Israelis, by the way, that's a very strong theme, also about being Jewish and democratic. We always want to have them both. So here we want both, and still, until now, it was possible. and maybe also went to the right direction, because I believe that The attacks on Hamas maybe were a leverage to to get the hostages back, at least past part of them. But there will be the moment in which Israel will have to choose. And that's the moment you were referring to, I guess. We are very close to there. Now here, the emotions are very contradictory because on one hand, most of the Israelis want the hostages back. That's no doubt. It's very deep rooted in Israeli society. We want them all back, but on the other hand, we will not be ready to be the suckers who give up Hamas and give up punishing Hamas at any price. And therefore, it's not about ben It's about the entire uh, discourse in Israel. And here, I would expect the United States to play a crucial role And in a very disappointing uh, way, I can see that uh, President Biden, who until now was really wonderful, really preventing Israel from, from crimes of war, from more crimes of war. But I don't hear a very clear message from the American president that Israel should stop this war. By all means not. And you know, if Biden doesn't say no, why would Netanyahu say no? He got Carl uh, blanche to continue. Yes, in certain limits, not to kill too many civilians. I mean, 20,000 were killed already, but not too many. I hope that the, my hope is really more about the Americans than others. The Americans should be very clear about it, but they are not.
0: And how much though has the war on Hamas actually endangered the hostages already?
5: No, until now, I don't think it in There is one family that Hamas declared that they are killed, maybe in bombs. There was another one who was uh, killed by bombs. But by and large, until now, we didn't reach the critical moment in which you have to choose. And maybe, and here I must uh, agree with the, the majority, which is very rare, that uh, maybe the military pressure was a leverage to to release the hostages until now because the Hamas leaders wanted some kind of pause and they could get it only by releasing hostages. But from now on, it will be much more complicated.
1: But there was an agreement, uh, or there was talk of an an agreement very early on where Hamas wanted its own prisoners released, uh, uh, women and children, uh, brokered by Qatar over a month ago, and Israel rejected that, chose to continue, chose to launch the ground invasion, chose chose to uh, attack Al-Shifa Hospital. Um, Isn't that the only fact here, that Israel just did not want, didn't care about its own hostages, it just wanted to continue attacking Gaza?
5: Yes, and then, I guess, Netanyahu realized that the public pressure to release hostages is so big that he had to to change its strategy his strategy because the pressure grew and grew. In any case he's in a very weak position right now in Israeli public opinion and people, most of the people are just waiting for the war to be over to to get to the next stage and getting rid of him one way or the other. But right now he had to to listen to the public and the public was very clear about the choices. I think that if it would have depend on this government and only on this government, they would rather go and crash Hamas, or what they call crashing Hamas, over releasing the hostages. Right. Don't forget, there is also a question, sorry, there's a question also of identity. I don't want to exaggerate about it, but I don't want to ignore it. Most of the hostages are from kibbutzim, from the left, from the peace camp, This is not the constituency of of Netanyahu. I don't want to blame him that he cares less about them. No, he's not such a cynical, I hope. But still, it is in the air that the hostages are from the other camp, so to say. And you see also that the majority of those who prefer releasing hostages are coming from the opposition. And in the coalition, the majority wants war over the hostages.
0: And we've also seen some of the relatives of the hostages um, and the relatives of Vivian Silver who was killed, who was a leftist peace activist. We've seen them. I mean, I remember seeing her son say something like, this is exactly what she was fighting against or was fearing would happen," which is so tragic. Um, and we've heard um, the son of, uh, whose parents were killed, he was saying that there needs to be peace. So it's interesting uh, that some of the most vocal peace voices are people who are related to the hostages. I'm sure that doesn't represent all of them, but...
5: Sure. Those from the kibbutzim, for sure. Those from the party and the soldiers obviously are different, uh, have different backgrounds. But in the kibbutzim, mainly the elder people, they were all old socialists, social democrats who believed in peace. Some of them were activists like uh, Vivian, but also others who really had contacts with Gaza, who helped uh, Palestinian patients to get to hospitals in Israel, really very dear people. But you know, uh, uh, when it comes to such an attack, uh, you cannot be selective. Uh, They all paid. There is another point in this context that many, 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 unfortunately, many from the peace camp changed after the 7th of October and I see a shift that I have never seen before. There is a shift of Israel going more to the right in any war and more nationalistic and militaristic and all this. This is in any war and happened also now. But even the small core of the peace camp is shifting this is very tragic they feel that the palestinians betrayed them almost personally and that's very worrying and very sad
1: on what grounds do they they feel betrayed by
5: palestinians for example those activists who did everything for gaza for people in gaza and then the palestinians came to their homes and kidnapped them and murdered them they think that this barbaric attack, that even Israel does not deserve such an attack, that even the occupation doesn't deserve such barbarism. And they personally don't, don't deserve it. They saw also quite a wide support among the Palestinians, obviously, in their attack. Look, for them, it's a source of hope.
0: Was this different from Did this happen with the intifadas as well, that the left became smaller and lost people in the ranks, or is this different?
5: It happened before, absolutely. The only difference this time is, in many aspects, is that the humiliation of Israel was never like this. You know, the intifada, buses exploded, it was very painful, but Israel didn't feel humiliated you know, with all the reputation of the Israeli intelligence and the barrier that they built for billions of dollars and the technology that nobody can really beat. And then few hundred Palestinians on motorcycles conquered the South of Israel within hours with the most primitive weapons. This humiliation they never saw before. And that's a major factor also by this need to punish them. How can you do it to us?
0: You you wrote a a piece shortly after this happened, Israel can't imprison two million Gazans without paying a cruel price. So this attack, it seems you're saying is obviously you're saying is not justifiable, but is also inevitable or at least not surprising or understandable. So how does Israel deal with this? I mean, you've said in interviews that you can't bomb Hamas out of existence. So is there any hope for anything, any peace, any one state solution? I know you call the current state one state. It's just an apartheid state. Is there any hope for one state with equal rights?
5: Not for the the short run. I don't see any hope from any direction. Because you don't have any partners for anything, neither among the Palestinians nor among Israel. The, the the prospects for it are zero because also the international community doesn't seem to pay more than again lip services and doesn't have doesn't show any signs that it's going to really be committed in actions, not in the in talkings, but in actions to impose some kind of solution, or at least some kind of progress toward the solution. So who is going to pick it up? Israelis will not wake up one morning and say, oh, this occupation, this apartheid, we don't like it so much. Let's put an end to it. This will never happen. It will only happen when Israelis will pay for it, will be punished for it. And this is not going to happen because the international community Basically supports the occupation. The United States supports the occupation actively, passively, all the big sentences and the slogans we know, they led to nowhere. And America knows if if America would have liked to put an end to the occupation, they knew they could have known very well how to do it. They never tried even. Can you believe that Russia, after a few weeks of invading uh, Crimea? was was exposed to sanctions and Israel after 55 years of occupation. Nobody even mentions the possibility of sanctions over Israel.
0: How could the U.S. end the occupation if they wanted to?
5: What is easier than this? Israel depends so much on the United States. The aid is so generous, more than any country in the world. God knows why, but Israel gets more than any other country in the world and believe me, Israel is not the poorest country or the country that deserves. But that's the choice of the United States and that's your own choice. You have to decide to whom. But why not to condition? It was never conditioned. This is so outrageous. You claim, I mean, the United States claim that it has some interests that the two-state solution is the plan and should be implemented, why not to condition that the settlements are a big danger? Why not to, for example, condition the aid by at least stopping building settlements? You want our aid, you have to stop this criminal project. What is so complicated this? no american president no administration went for it they always say it's terrible many condemnations what did you do for it nothing
1: yeah hamas has changed its positions in the last uh, 15 years or so it deferred to the Palestinian authority on negotiating with israel it changed its charter to say that it would accept a Palestinian state inside the west bank in gaza and tacitly although not formally but tacitly that's a way of saying they're going to recognize israel's borders outside of the Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza. Was there ever any debate inside Israel about trying to engage with that and uh, seeing that as an opening for a uh, long-term peace uh, for uh, for a two-state solution?
5: If there was any debate, now it's over. And you can't even mention a possibility of, of negotiating with Hamas. This is out of the question. I mean, Israeli society sees now... Hamas as a Nazi organization, and with the Nazis, you don't negotiate anything. Now, there were times in which there was some, some discussion, but I guess you know that in Israel, there are not many political discussions anymore in the last decades. Nobody speaks about the long future. Nobody speaks about, everyone is only in the present. Nobody asks an Israeli, where do you want to go? Where are you aiming? Where is your state aiming? What is the end game? What is your goal? What will be here in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time? What's the, even, you know what? You will not be, impaired. what do you want to happen here? You will not get answers, except of the very right extremists, who will tell you very clearly to expel the Palestinians from here. And then we'll have a real Jewish state between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean. That's our plan. We are aiming there. But that's, until now, a minority. All the rest have no plan. And, and there is no debate. There is no debate. I remember times in the 70s when the joke was that two Israelis share three views. And arguments about the future of the territories, the future of the occupation, where at any Friday evening uh, dinners, family dinners, everyone was talking and fighting, and shall we return the territories, shall we not? We didn't even know how to call the territories, occupied, maintained. This is all gone. We don't speak about it. You come and see campaigns to the elections. The occupation is not present at all. Election after election, people speak about the most minor and stupid issues and the occupation is not on the table at all, not in favor, not against, doesn't exist.
0: So if you were the president of the United States right now, what would you do to make Israel not just stop settlements, but would there be any way to make them become a one state with equal rights? Is that something that would even be possible?
5: I think that Israel will have no other choice. Israel cannot go on. I mean, you can talk and be very proud and speak about the independence, but by the end of the day, Israel without the American aid, both the military one and even the economically one and the diplomatic one in the international arena, Israel is lost. And when you are serious and you say, listen, we want to continue to give you all the aid that you got until now. But you have to follow some of our. You have to to meet some of our requests. Everything has price in life, except of except of the American aid. Wow. This is priceless. I mean, this is for free. I think nothing could have been easier than this because no government can stand it. Okay, they they can have very patriotic rhetorics, but by the end of the day, if you need now new. Uh, missiles for the Iron Dome and American president tells you, no, you are not getting it if you don't do one, two, three. You cannot s- live without more missiles for the Iron Dome. You have to listen to what America is telling you. But America is not telling you anything.
1: Gideon, you have friends and contacts in, in Gaza. Um, what have you been hearing from them? I'm the
5: Gaza? truth. I am I'm too ashamed to call them. I didn't talk to anyone in Gaza. You're
1: too ashamed.
5: I, yes. I, I, I cannot I cannot talk to them. I don't know how how who is alive and who is dead, who is homeless and who is sick. I don't dare to I don't know if it's possible to call because for long times it was also hard to
1: Yeah.
5: I, I didn't talk to anyone in Gaza ever since it started. I, I mentally I, I, I cannot what shall I tell them? that my heart goes to them. I mean, it is so hollow. It's my people, my soldiers who do it, and I will call and say, listen, my heart goes to you. If I could go there, great, but don't forget also that I've not been in Gaza for the last 15 years because Israel doesn't let any Israeli journalist to go to Gaza. So most of the contacts are also much weaker now because it's 15 years that I've not seen none of my friends there, my drivers. You know how much i care about my two drivers the taxi drivers we were for years every week meeting and having such a great time there i have no clue if they are alive or dead and i don't dare to
1: call them and i remember during the 2014 israeli assault on gaza i remember during that time you had to have bodyguards inside israel going around is that still the case now
5: no no by all means no thanks thanks god because i didn't enjoy it but I don't know what happened either. I, I don't know to explain it, but I, I I feel so safe this time. I go in the streets. Nobody spits at me. Nobody even makes remarks. I don't know to explain it. I mean, I have some explanations, but they are not very convincing. I don't know, but no need at all. Also, no no threats. But in the email, in the, I mean, hmm. really, something went wrong. This is very clear. I I, I was wrong somewhere. That. All of a sudden they accept me or they mm-hmm. gave up on me or i don't know what to say i don't know
1: here in the u.s um polls show that young people are overwhelmingly against what israel is doing and that kind of generational shift is pretty common generally the you know the youth are going to be on the side you know more on the side of human rights than their elders that's just but in israel that's not the case and it seems to me that the younger generation actually is even more extreme than older generations. Do you agree with that? And and if so, how do you explain that? And to hear the rest of the
3: interview, please go to usefulidiotspodcast.com.
1: Always great to hear from Gideon Levy, one of the few prominent Israeli voices left who are calling out Israel's brutality, calling out the occupation. And as he discussed, Israelis like him are few and far between. And it's just, it's a stunning thing to witness that a voice like his who can recognize what Israel's doing is just, it's so rare now in Israel.
0: And so lonely. And make sure you become, if you're not already subscribers, because uh, the uh, Substack Only section of the interview is fascinating. And he says some really damning things about Israel, um, talking about how they have Nazi proposals. And he answers the question of whether or not a genocide is unfolding. So... Make sure you check that out at usefulidiotspodcast.com.
1: All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.
0: See you next time.
1: Thanks so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For extended episodes, bonus content, and our weekly Thursday throwdown episode, please subscribe at usefulidiotspodcast.com. Support the show for free by subscribing on YouTube, Rumble, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and review. You can also follow us on Twitter at Useful idiot Pod. Thanks for supporting independent media. We'll see you next time.